I was thinking uh, the other day, I, I wish I had the opportunity to give every single one of you uh, an instrument when you walked in. A trombone, a trumpet, xylophone, kettle drums. Actually, some of you uh, don't give you an instrument, say, hey, you're going to be singing this part in the choir, but give all of you some music, give all of you an instrument, or be, tell you what you're going to sing, and then gather everyone in here and get you seated in the right place, and then get up here and give you this wonderful, masterful piece, and count it off, and what do you think would happen? It sound good, right? Probably sound horrible. I thought about that this week as uh, I remember seeing an episode um, of an old show, the Andy Griffith Show, where Andy tried to get the local band to make it to uh, uh, the state to play for some event, and they were going to play uh, Stars and Stripes Forever, an excellent piece by John Philip Sousa, and uh, he gets them together, and he counts it off, and they sound horrible. I mean, they're so bad, and the mayor doesn't want to send them there, and they play a trick on him. But I was thinking it would be great if you could all come in and pick up an instrument and to have a part in the choir, and then we could just count it off and just have this wonderful symphony, this wonderful music that would uh, just be a, a glorious thing. But uh, at the same time, I was like, oh, that would not happen here, even if we probably practice for the next 10 years. Maybe not. But one of the reasons I thought of that is when you think of uh, giving everyone an instrument and then it sounding horribly is sometimes um, the picture of what happens of the church today because of a lack of unity. When there's a lack of unity among the body of Christ to the world looking in or to even other brothers and sisters looking in the local gathering without unity in Christ can sound and look horrible because without unity in Christ, we just continue to live like the rest of the world. And there is a um, need for us to be united in Christ. This is where the Apostle Paul takes us to this morning in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And he speaks of joy, and he says to complete his joy, and that joy comes through the unity, the gospel of Christ. And as we look at this, the scriptural truth this morning is this, when believers follow the example of Christ to humbly serve one another, the church experiences joyful unity. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others. The Word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your words for life and for godliness. Thank you for giving us uh, the truths that you would have set for us as your church to be united in Christ. Jesus, we praise you. We give you thanks as we were just singing that by your blood shed for us, um, that through faith in you, 
we are given your righteousness. And we stand before our Heavenly Father in your righteousness. Holy Spirit, as we read that you are the one who unites us in the church through the gospel, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that today. You would build us up in our faith. You would teach us and help us to understand the truths that we have to read here and that we would live accordingly. Father, we pray that we would be found faithful and to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we pray for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read chapter 2, I just want to remind you that there is no numbers in these letters. There's no chapter and there's no verses. So Paul has written a letter. Um, maybe you have received a letter in the mail lately. Or if that's too old, maybe you received a, uh, a letter in the sense from an email. And when you read it, uh, I, I wouldn't write a letter and say... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, uh, dear family member, uh, verse 2, according to the, you know, and verse 3, I wouldn't, I wouldn't number it that way. Uh, we don't have that. And when you read chapter 2, you see what Paul is doing. He's just continuing the thought we just looked at. Last week, the call was to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, but he doesn't end here. He speaks of unity as, in Christ is what works these things out and what should be evident and what's also interesting, when you read these passages in their original language, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2 is a long, run-on sentence. Your version may have individual uh, sentences there, but it's just one long thought there. And Paul does that in some of his uh, letters. And so here he says in verse 1 that, therefore, if you look at the verses that we just saw last week, verses 27 through 30, if you read through that, he says, in light of standing and striving together for the faith of Christ, continue in this way in unity, living the worthy life. And so uh, the only way that you and I can live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ is through the unity uh, of the church, the believers, through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And that unity is found in the gospel of Christ. Now, in your version, it might say, so if there is. If there is, if there is, that's not really what his point is. He's saying if here to say since there is. And he gives us four uh, truths here, four motivations uh, for being unified uh, in the church. And it's all found in salvation in Christ. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are a follower of Christ... And if I look around this room and let's say uh, all of us are found in Christ, all of us are saved in Christ, I never believe that when I'm in a room this size, but let's say that we are, according to what he says here, we are all unified uh, under the same truth, who is Jesus Christ, uh, and our salvation is found in him. So let's look at these four in verse one here. He gives us four motivations uh, why there should be unity in the church. Uh, and at first when he says, Instead of if there is, it says, really, since there is encouragement in Christ. That's the first one. Since there is encouragement in Christ. Well, what does this mean? When we get to chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, we'll see that he says, Believers, Christians, are blessed to be found in Christ and to know Christ. 
You are blessed if you are a Christian, if you are saved because you are in Christ. Christ is in you and you know him. You can have a personal relationship with God. You don't worship him at a distance like he's an idol because you are found in Christ and Christ is in you. This is the blessing for the believers. Also, if you read what we read last week in verse 29, for it has been granted to you for, that the, sa- for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We saw last week that it is a blessing for the Christian to not only be granted the faith to believe in Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, but also to suffer for the name of Christ. And so he says, since there is encouragement in Christ, there is nothing else that can give us greater encouragement than being saved from our sins and being set free from the shackles, the chains of sin, to be given eternal life, uh, to know that we um, deserve the wrath of God. I mean, think for just a moment of God's wrath. God's wrath upon sin. God's wrath meant for you because you've sinned against God, because you've been born with a sin nature that was passed down. God's wrath upon you, if you let that just sink in for a minute, when you look to the cross, you say, oh, the mercy and grace of God, that he would forgive me, a sinner, a great sinner. And so when we look at these truths of what Christ has done, that he would die, that he would shed his blood, that his blood would be poured out to forgive us of sins, that as he hung on the cross, he would take the wrath meant for you upon himself, and he would bear that weight. It's staggering to think of that truth, that Christ loves me so much. And with that, the joy that not only we are forgiven of our sins, that our guilt and shame is taken away, but that we also, through Christ, conquer over death. I mean, we are facing death every single day. And it would be one thing to be forgiven at the cross of our sins. But if Jesus was still in the tomb, you would all still die. Forgiven by faith in him, but if Christ had not risen from death to life, we would all go to the grave and we would all stay in the grave. But Jesus Christ is risen from death to life. Amen? He is risen. And so we rejoice in the forgiveness of Christ. We rejoice in conquering death. And so in Christ, the truth of the gospel, the unity that believers have is through Jesus Christ we have conquered Satan, sin, and death, and we await our Savior, our hope, our joy, and we long to be with Him and to see Him face to face for eternity. Church, this is what Christians find their unity in. Jesus Christ, crucified, risen again, returning one day all to the glory of God. This is what we should pray for that there would be unity among the body of Christ here in this local gathering and across the globe through all all believers who are found in Christ. So he says, since there is encouragement in Christ, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul uses this same word, repeats himself 
uh, over and over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we, have, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is what he says in verse 2. He doesn't say if there is. He says since there is comfort from love. There is comfort. There is a shared love and care is what this, this means here that the church has for one another because we find that in Christ's love and his care and concern for us. <clears throat> Jesus told his disciples in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Look around those who are in this room. You know some of the people in here. Look around. And some of you are like, I don't look around. Look around the room. See everyone in this room? I know that you don't know all of everyone in here. Some of you know everyone in here. Do you realize as a believer the unity of the gospel is you're commanded by Jesus to love one another as he loves you? Can you truly look around the room and say, I love that person as Christ loves me? The difficult part, because of sin that we still battle with, we can look at another brother or sister in Christ and say, I don't love them. They've wronged me. They've hurt me. They've done this. They said that about me, and I am not going to forgive them. That's completely opposite what Jesus says, the new command I give you, to love one another as Christ has loved you, to love God, to love the body of Christ, so much so in the same way as we'll read next week in verses, I think, 5 through 11 of chapter, uh, chapter 2, Christ loves his people so much that he died and suffered. He humbled himself, and that's the call that you are to love one another among the body of Christ. The third truth he lays out here, he says, since there's, there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, the third thing is says, since there is participation or fellowship in the Spirit, it's this word koinonia, that we get the word fellowship or partnership, uh, participation, but the key there is look at that. Highlight that circle and underline spirit. Speaking about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians tells us, that when we are saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in your life after you have come to a point of faith in Christ for salvation. And you're sealed for that day of, of redemption, that day uh, for eternity of being with Christ but there's a key thing here is because some of us, again, struggle with loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you may have changed churches over the years because 
someone offended you because a church did something. And so there is an angst that you still have. And it's very painful to even think about it at this moment. You need the Holy Spirit to put in your heart a forgiveness towards those brothers and sisters in Christ because you may go, there's no way I can forgive them. If you knew what they said to me, what have you said to the Lord God Almighty? How have you sinned against Him? Think about how you've been forgiven. The call is that we would love one another and we would have this fellowship through the Holy Spirit. In chapter 3, when we get there, we'll read that uh, the Apostle Paul says that we worship God by the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Are any of you weak spiritually? Like I'm putting up both hands. Maybe you guys are all more stronger than I am. But it's like, Lord, I need your help because this is a weakness Sometimes we don't even see the weakness spiritually in our life. Maybe the Lord brings someone in your life to point that out. Instead of saying something back to them or not even want to talk to them again, maybe, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing that to me. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever tried to pray for a brother or sister in Christ and you so struggled with that? You didn't know what to pray or because of past things, you really didn't want to, but you're like, no, I'm supposed to. The Holy Spirit can help when we don't even know what to pray. The Holy Spirit prays on behalf of us and we must thank the Lord that He works in us through His Spirit. And so Paul says back here in verse 1, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort in love, since there is participation in the Spirit, he says the fourth thing, since there is affection and sympathy. Two words here that are key. This word affection, this word in the original Greek is like splachnon, something like that. Just make the sound when you say it. It has to do with your bowels, your guts, but these feelings inside of you. That you can be so passionate about something, it like comes from inside. This is what he partners with this word sympathy, which means to have this compassion um, towards another person. So think about the things that you're so passionate about. Some of you are so passionate about the fact that the Celtics won this week. A buzzer beater. You're just so excited that, the, you know, that they won you're so passionate about this hobby or this type of thing in work. You're so passionate about this in school. Those things that he's saying, this thing that comes from inside, that passion and that feeling should be this affection and concern towards your other brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that something that marks us as a church, that we have this deep feeling inside of us, that when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are, and they're hurting, that we're hurting with them. When we see their, them grieving, we're grieving with them. When we see them celebrating, we're celebrating with them. But that the Holy Spirit would put this inside us, that we would have concern for others. I'm always amazed when I read through our prayer list that comes out every week. And the prayer requests that come in and to the office and are shared. Um, do we just, okay, I got, all right, Lord, help all those people. Or is there a, 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 a work in our heart where we are longing that God would move in their life, 
according to his will, that, 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 that the things that they're asking prayer for, even if that's, if that's not the will of God, that his will would be done. We must pray, church, that the Holy Spirit would put these feelings in us of unity in Christ for one another because that is how Christ loves us. And that's what we're called to do. That's to be evident in the life of the believers in the church. We'll read it here again in a moment. In verse 4, he says, look out to the interests of others. Look out for the interests of others. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 11. Listen to this description of God's care for his people. It says in verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Did you hear those words? Merciful, gracious, steadfast in love. Verse 10, he doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. I can't tell you how many times I'm like calling the Lord to strike down lightning on something because I want revenge. It's like, Lord, wipe them out. It's like, oh wait, that's a brother or sister in Christ. I shouldn't pray those things, but Lord, they did this. And I share those things because those are weaknesses, because we are human and we're waiting for the day of glorification and there's no sin in our souls and we have a new body that's glorified. We long for that day, but while we walk here and live and we're called to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, oh Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, fill us up today. Give me the love for one another as you have loved me. This is what Paul is crying out and begging and pleading with the church to be found faithful, to do, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And just think about this. If the rest of the world sees that in us, how much more appealing the cross is to them. And therefore, when the church sees us, even when we sin and struggle and fall, to see the body of Christ that would come together and ask for forgiveness, to confess their sins, to try to work in relationships, to build back together by the power of the Holy Spirit, the world looks in and is amazed because it's not something that any of us are born with. In verse 2, he says this, complete my joy. Again, he talks about joy throughout this letter. He says, complete my joy after these four truths by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I think about joy and I think about the fact that things of this world which we seem joyful in fade quickly. And I see this all the time when children buy toys. I can think back to myself wanting to buy the next toy, wanting to get the next thing, and you go to the store, and you just walk the toy aisles, and it's like you're drooling. You're like in this daze. Oh, if I only had that. 
If I only, and, and you go on. Or maybe for some of you that are older now, it's not toys. And you're going to the store to look at a new hunting rifle. Uh, maybe it's going to something else for a hobby that you like. Maybe it's whatever it may be. And you long for those things and you begin to save. Some of you know what I mean. You begin to put some of that money aside, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you finally come to that day, and it's like this joy of like, yes, or you're ordering online. Oh, man, it can't get, I'm going to pay the two-day extra shipping just so I can get it here faster. And you get it, you try it out, you have some joy with it for a while, and then it's like not too long before you're like, oh, I need an upgrade. I need to get that else, that, that, that thing else, because that's going to help enhance this. This is going to help in this area. And then he's saying, make my joy complete. It's like, wait, we can have complete joy? Yes. This is what he's writing about. Your complete joy is found in Christ and in nowhere else. Test it out this week. Look at the stuff you invest your time and your money and your energy in. Is it bringing you ultimate and continual and everlasting joy? Or do you need to refocus and go like, oh, wait, maybe this. Not that it's bad, but I'm trying to get joy out of this. And know this. You can strive to try to get joy out of a relationship. And many times, and I'll just, maybe not many times, all the time, relationships can fail or they do. And so the joy that you had can drop through the floor. That's why Paul says your joy should be and only found in Christ, which is never ending and everlasting. Yeah, the Apostle John <clears throat> wrote to um, the believers, the young early believers in, John, in, second, in 3 John, uh, it says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I would say that that is a very good statement. Throughout the years, hearing parents and grandparents talk about their children and their grandchildren, following Jesus Christ and walking a life worthy of the gospel, and you just see the joy on their face. And then there's others who say, Pastor Please pray for my child. Pray for my grandchild because they're not following Jesus. They're far away and you see the pain and the grief on their face. <clears throat> Apostle Paul says, complete my joy. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. <clears throat> I was thinking of some moments here at this church in the last four and a half years and in the last church that I served at for eight years, moments in which the church had planned or prepared something to serve one another and coming to that, showing up at something where the body of Christ was coming together to serve one another and the joy that I had because I came thinking, oh, I'm going to have to do this and this, and I'm going to have to do all this and it's like, Pastor, just stand out of the way. Get over there. And watching the body of Christ serving one another, watching the body of Christ loving one another, there's a great joy in that. I pray that the Lord would continue to build the unity in the body of Christ at this church and that there would be joy that is abounding because we are loving God. We are loving one another and serving one another. He says, be of the same mind be of one mind. 
verse 27, he'd said he'd hoped to see them with one mind striving side by side, side for the faith of the gospel. We saw last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he writes to a church that is not living like the church, but living like the world. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Churches never had division, right? Churches don't ever have disagreements, right? Churches don't fight, do they? People don't divide and get upset and, and, and argue with one another, do they? We chuckle because it does happen. I remember a church I served at years ago. It wasn't even a week and a half before I was learning about the history of the church and I was serving as an associate. And they told me about that night. Like, what's that night? I was sharing this with the evening service uh, last month where the church had some uh, prime property and there was an all-church meeting and it was set on an evening and it went into midnight and after midnight, and the church that gathered just like this, they're fighting and arguing over, should we build this building and rent it out so we can pay off the loans of all this property, or should we sell it now and use that? And there was a fight that went on and on and on. Unloving words were said, and unloving actions, in which what ended the meeting was one woman sitting behind the pastor's wife and was so angered at something the pastor said that she took a hymnal and hit the wife in the head so hard, you might chuckle at you think that's funny, but it caused brain damage. He never served another church again. There was years of trying to bring peace and people would not make peace with this pastor and his wife were called to love as Christ loved us. And there are problems that arise among the local gatherings of Christ always. Unsaid things, people talking behind one another's back, gossiping and lying and slander. You say, no, not the church. Yes, in the church. That's why when you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John calls the church who still battles with sin to love as Christ loved us, to care for one another as Paul calls the church to care for. And so he says, have the same mind, be of one mind. And what that leads into is what we see next week in verses 5 through 11. He's going to say, have the mind of Christ. Have this humility in your life as Christ did, who humbled himself and went to the cross. That's the example that he gives. And so you can be reading ahead of time to look at that. The Apostle John wrote in John chapter 15, Jesus said this to the disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. He calls them friends. Again, this picture of the relationship that is to be among the body of Christ. And I, I, I know that we can use this excuse sometimes. I love my brother and sister in Christ, but I don't have to be friends with them. You ever heard that before? 
I can tell you there's still something there. Christ called the men who followed him, the men who turned and ran at the moment when he was arrested, the men who watched for a distance when he was hung on the cross. He called them his friends. And it's a wonderful picture of how the body of Christ is to be. And some of you still don't believe me. You're still not convinced. Because you've been hurt in churches or you've seen hurt, you're not convinced. I can't convince you of this. You or anyone on their own power and strength are never going to see this happen only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We go back to chapter 1 and we do what he calls the church to do. Pray. We're to pray that this would be evident and he says, having the same mind, being of one mind, having the same love, loving. He doesn't say love the same things. It's same love as Christ. It says being in full accord, being like-minded. This is those picture of this is to be evident in our life. And I would say, church, if you're praying for us, would you pray Philippians chapter 2, verse 1? Would you pray that? Or verses 1 through 4, since it's one run-on sentence. Would you make that your constant prayer for us every day and moment throughout the day? Look at verse 3 here. Humility like Christ. Humility like Christ. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Some of you have this memorized. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And that is a challenge because we live in a world who loves our selfies. We love pictures of ourselves. That gives you a picture in the sense of who we are. Narcissism is rampant, meaning that our needs are more important than their needs and by far more important than those people's needs. Again, this is the sin of pridefulness in our life that rises up. It must go. Humility must rise in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would humble ourselves like Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote to the church there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. He says this in verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Just what he said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. With all humility and gentleness. We need to be gentle. Sometimes we respond to another believer and we're not gentle. We respond to another person and there's not a gentleness like Christ in our words it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. How many of you, including myself, need patience? To be not just patient waiting for something, but be patient with another brother and sister in Christ. Be patient with them. Lord, they're not there yet. Be patient. You're not there yet. Gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Sometimes we're like, oh, Lord, I, I love that person, but I, I don't want to bear with them in love. And it's like, no, you're to bear with them in love, no matter how long it takes. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility like Christ. We are called to swallow our pride. We are called to ask for forgiveness of one another. To admit when we are wrong. To make whatever effort possible to be at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ.
And so I would say, here's, here's a question. How, how, how do I know if I'm growing in humility? Or, or how can I grow in humility? Number one is read the Word of God. Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Because if Jesus, we're told Jesus is the greatest example to follow, to be humble, then we should read about it. We should set our mind on things above. That doesn't just mean heaven. That means thinking of what Christ has done for us, that he humbled himself, glory in heaven, and he came and was born in a manger, a lowly manger. He said he had nowhere to lay his head. He added humanity to his divinity, fully God, fully man, bearing this weight and these experiences that we all experience. Christ has experienced it all. That's the picture And therefore, we need to read of this so that the Holy Spirit would work it in our hearts and our minds that we would apply it and live by it. Another question, again, another thing, how am I growing in humility? What's another way? Look to the cross. Think about how you've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. If you've sinned recently, confess it to the Lord, knowing that you were forgiven at the cross, but confessing your sin before Christ brings about a humility and it gets rid of your pridefulness. Because if you're like me, I like to be right. I like to say, no, this is how it is. I am right. And then later when I get proven wrong, I don't want to admit it. It's going to want to go and hide somewhere. Let's talk about something else. But am I growing in humility? It's Christ. Read Isaiah 40. Was reading that this past week. Read Isaiah 40. The greatness of God. How he is sovereign. How he has spoken the world into existence. How it says he's seated above uh, the heavens and, and uh, and we are like grasshoppers before him. You just read that chapter just alone. You see the greatness of God is something that can humble us very quickly. Time in prayer brings us to humility. Praying before the Lord those things that we don't want to pray for. And when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit praying for us, it removes our pride. It puts our uh, what we want and our desires and everything that we're having, we set it behind us when we pray as Jesus taught the disciples uh, to pray, um, not my will, but the Lord's. That we pray His kingdom would come. And that really begins to humble you and direct you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Some versions say worries. Are you worried today? Are you anxious today? Are you trying to uh, overcome the troubles in your life? And you're trying to do it on yourself. You never will overcome them. That's why it says, cast them before the Lord who cares for you and loves you and is the one that can remove all of those anxieties. And so he puts out these motivations for unity in the church found in the gospel and says that from that, 
Growth in humility is to be, it's commanded there. And then, then the, in verse 4 is this third and final point, serve others for Christ. That's what he draws this conclusion at the end of this long sentence in these four verses is that we are to serve one another for Christ. So if you want application, you can go through all these things. The application is this. Look at your life this week. Are you serving one another for the glory of God? Are you serving others first? Are their needs and their interests before yours? Because he says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This one again gets challenged because there's things that we want to do in our time during the week, and sometimes we have a plan and a schedule and I'm going to do this, this is going to happen, and there's a need of a brother and sister in Christ, and it comes to you, and it's like that battle starts. It's like, Lord, why did you have to bring them to me? I was going to go doing this this week. I was set out with this. I've already prepared this. And it's like, man, what can I, what, how can I get out of this one? What excuse can I come up with? Let me think here. Uh, is there a verse that I can get out of this one? It's like, we think, it's like, man, I, uh, and, and, and then the temptation then is to lie to our brother and sister in Christ and say, you know what, I can't help with this. I'm going to be doing this or I already had, you know, or we lie about something. And then you're at the store and they show up when you were supposed to be gone. Boy, that's a bad one. That's one of the ones you're like hiding behind the rack because you're like, oh man, they came in. But that's what happens in our humanity and our sinfulness. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit moving in us that this unity among the body of Christ, the love of God for us would move us to go, okay, Lord, I will serve them. I wanted this, but I will serve them. Ask yourself this. Maybe there's something to add to your prayer, prayers this week. Are you sensitive to the needs within the body of Christ. For some of you, it might be, I have no idea what anyone else needs here. Some of you are so tuned in, you're like, I wish everyone knew all these needs that this person had. This is something that you should pray that God would reveal to you. It's like, oh, there's a need. These people have a need. That person has a need. This church has a need here. And that God would weigh that upon your heart and show you how he's gifted you by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and serve and meet that need. And it's glorious. And what's even better is when no one but God sees you do it. Because there's a challenge there. We want to go serve someone. We hear a need. I'm going to go do that. He's like, oh, there's, let me walk a little slower so they see me. I'm going to pick this up and pull those weeds for those people. It's like, we want to have the acknowledgement. And it's like, no, God gets the acknowledgement. So serve. Go serve quietly. Don't do it for any attention. And God gets all the glory. Amen? Pray for that. A couple more passages of scripture and we'll pray. Matthew 23, verse 11, Jesus says, The greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. Whoever exalts him will be humbled, and whoever humbles him will be exalted. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last 
of all and servant of all. I was laughing this week thinking back to a water fountain at a Christian school that I went to and was thinking about when everyone wanted water and it was really hot. There would be a fight to get in line. There would be pushing to get to the water fountain. I won't even go into the fact that everyone's slobbering water all over this thing and everyone's got their mouth touching the thing. Everyone wanted the water though. And you, then you get the person up there that sits there and they're just drinking water for like five minutes and everyone's like counting one, two, you know, they're doing the tap thing. If you know, some of you know what I mean, the one, two, and it's like, they don't care. And I was thinking about that this week. It's like, man, how many times do I want to jump in first? I want my water first. I'm more thirsty than you. I want this before you because I deserve that. Mark chapter 10, verse 43, Jesus says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? Serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, pray that when a need arises that we are to call to serve and to love one another. It's like, oh, no, I have a hangnail. I need to go deal with this. Pray that that would come, that, would, that wouldn't even be anything that comes to our mind, but that it would be a love for those people. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is an amazing verse here. The Apostle Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he says, outdo, outdo one another in showing honor. Is that something that marks the gathering of believers here? Do we try to outdo one another in showing honor? Again, we honor God and Christ more than anything. But do we have that type of way of serving one another that we want to honor a person more than we want to receive that? Again, at the beginning, I, I said it would be great if I could give all of you an instrument or give you a score of music and have a symphony, an orchestra, and have a choir, and to stand up and direct, and be kind of laugh about it. like that, that wouldn't happen here. It'd be horrible. But to think about if you have that, I was listening to a piece of music yesterday. I was playing it for my family. And when you hear all of the instruments playing in perfect harmony and perfect timing, and then in the middle of the song, the choir came in, and it was this, this, this song about the return of Christ. And I was, I was listening to that, I was just like, just so amazed. And I was like, that for me as I listen to that is the description and the picture that the Apostle Paul gives of the body of Christ who's united in the gospel of Christ, who's living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Jesus Christ is the great conductor of the church. And he is the one directing all of the lives of his people for his glory. And it sounds glorious. That is what I ask you to pray that God would do according to his will in our lives as we gather for the glory of Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a perfect plan, you have a perfect will, and you will accomplish every single bit of it. And that you accomplish your will and plan to save sinners like us. 
and that you do a work of transforming and changing our hearts and giving us the gift of faith to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would be found of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Father, for any in this room who are not or have not come into this place as, and they're not believers, I pray that today is the day of salvation, that today, even at this moment, Holy Spirit, open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. Give them the faith to believe that they would be saved by your work all to the glory of God. Father, help us in our weakness. Holy Spirit, help us because we are weak. Help us to have a regard and love for the body of Christ because you gave your life for the church. May you be glorified in the words that come from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.